Hello, everyone, and welcome to 491 of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abe Stein. Heyo! And Mason, you feeling okay, Clark? Away, away, away. You doing okay, buddy? Yeah, I got a little sniffle on my nose, but besides that, I'm feeling pretty. Yeah, I kind of stayed in bed today, so I'm here. Yeah. Get a little nappy nap in? Yeah, I got a little nap in. I slept in a a little. I woke up actually earlier than normal, and then went back to sleep. Well, uh, you know, I think that a nap is one of those things that can, for me, kind of put me in a better place than I was kind of always improving, so to speak. So that is the first segment of our show this week. We're going to talk about always improving the things that we've been doing to try and improve at Magic the Gathering or life in general. And uh, it's my turn to go first, according to the show notes. And I I am going to talk about something that I I followed up on immediately. Um, actually, more than immediately. <laughs> uh, so if you're in the Discord for our Patreon, you might already know this. But last uh, last show, I talked about wanting to just go headfirst into conquering my online fears and just like really go harder at it this year on both Magic Online and Arena in any ways that I decide to engage in the game. Um, and so I was going to play uh, Amulet Titan in the challenge, uh, the last challenge of December, um, but was kind of not feeling it that day. I like. I like went to bed the night before. Was going to bed the night before and thought, oh, "Man, like I really like have a stressful week coming up, and I'm not sure that I'm like feeling like you know Amulet Titan in my mental space." And what was funny is that typically, in I would just not play the challenge. I just be like, oh, "That's fine. I'll just skip this one." But I really wanted to get a head start on my goal, um, and so I was like, "Well, I have a Tron list that I I'm pretty comfortable with." And that deck, you know, it's Tron. So uh, fire that off and, you know, was able to, to fight through the challenge, uh, missing out on top 52 on tiebreakers. But I, regardless of the result, which, you know, I thought I did pretty well, I was really proud of me just following through. And in a coaching session um, this last week, one of the things that we talked about was this, this idea that I think a lot of players miss, like, a lot of players talk about how they they talk about how they want to go to the pro tour, they want to get go to the regional championship, they want to get better at magic, but they don't they don't they don't actually make the decision to do those things. It's just a thing in their head, the thing that they say out loud, rather than putting in like active efforts to achieve those type of things. And um, you know, it was really nice because I I used you know my goal as an example this year and how I, I took immediate actions towards that goal. And that felt, it honestly felt really good. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Abe, you're up next. Yeah, um, in a similar vein to you're always moving Spencer, but in uh, not, not as directly tied to, to my goals for like the year, but definitely tied to my goals for uh, you know the next couple of months. Uh, you know, the RC in Denver is coming up in about a month. Uh, the Pro Tour is coming up in about a month and three quarters. And so I, um, for the last couple weeks have been starting up, like, budgeting out more time to just be playing games. Um, 
than I normally do. Like, you know, most of my process is typically doing a lot of like deck list research, but so much has changed in the formats recently that, you know, making sure I really have the play patterns down now before, um, before I'm coming to like make a decision and start to commit to a deck and really understand the form as a whole has been a big priority of mine. So, uh, I've started playing, uh, and like made a plan for myself of like, I'm playing six leagues at minimum a week, three of each format. Uh, and then that's going to transition to the same number of pioneer matches, uh, either like that time being, uh, like continuing to be leagues or being like in-house testing with, uh, with Sanctum of All, uh, and then being like at least one, like traditional draft on Arena or Magic Online draft or in-house draft, wherever we can get, um, going of the new set once it comes out after DRC. And, I don't know, it's just like hitting the streets and just getting, especially with how much has changed in both Modern and um, and Pioneer with, you know, bannings in, in both those formats and unbanning from Pioneer and uh, like a lot of just a lot of change that kind of needs to be understood and, and, and changing is really making uh, putting pressure on me to do that and yeah, it's just been good to, to get out there and just start jamming again, especially just getting a lot more hours in than I have been previously, and uh, yeah, it's been been good so far. Love that, Mason. Yeah, my always improving moment came from the event this past weekend at SCG uh, Cincinnati, and it was from basically just like being pretty tired and drained from everything going into Saturday night. Stayed up. Uh, you know, hang out with people or we're talking um, and then just realizing like, hey, like, I don't have to play the tournament tomorrow. Yes, I'm here. Normally I would just get up and play the 10K, especially with like how small the events were this weekend. You know, like it's like pretty good value to get up and play. But I decided that like I wasn't really feeling up to it and I valued like resting and feeling healthy for other things going on in my life right now. And just kind of every moment of like, it's really easy to be like some cost of like, well, you drove all the way up here. You booked the hotel for like another day because you're going to play in this tournament. Like, couldn't you just do this thing? And instead, it's like, no, I'm just going to like sleep in and relax and hang out with my friends and do that stuff instead of playing the event because I just didn't think it was a wise choice to do. And that's my most improvement. Dude, let's go. Mason Clark beat the Sun Cost Fallacy. Let's go. I. It's like so hard to do because your brain literally does not agree but i don't know i'm proud of you it's so hard to beat the sun cost fallacy it's like crazy thank you yeah yeah it was you know it it's, doesn't sound like a huge thing but like you know it was good to kind of do it and i think it was net good like i sound kind of sick i feel fairly good i just my throat from talking all weekend is kind of drained but you know i'm here i'm vibing we're moving forward I, I know that you say it's like not a big deal, but I actually think that's one of the harder things in magic. Like different different types of those fallacies where your brain tells you one thing that is not true is actually really hard to overcome for a lot of players. And while this one might seem easy, right? Because you're like, oh well I was sick, like obviously I'm not gonna not gonna fall victim to this. I, I do think that, you know, you, you you just talked about why your brain told you that you should fall victim to it. Very true. Yeah. You know what I'm never going to fall victim to, Spencer? Forgetting our patrons. That's right. We have two new patrons this week. We want to give a shout-out to our new patrons every week. This week we have 
Max and Sam. Thank you so much, Max and Sam. It means the world every time we get that notification letting us know that somebody feels like, you know, some, that what we're offering is of value to you and that it, it's helping you in some way where you can give back a little bit to the show. Um, it, it means the world. It, it really does. So, uh, you know what else means the world is our sponsors. I never check out uh, the affiliate link below for untapped.gg. I talked about what's so funny is I talked about the, the mana thing on untapped.gg. Somebody downloaded it and immediately was like, oh my gosh, I miscounted my sources. My deck is wrong and messaged me because of the podcast that they were able to fix their mana base uh, before an arena event. So I thought that was dope. It, it, Let's go. Yeah, it really is dope. So, and then I, I was I was shaming uh, somebody in our Discord for not having it while I was watching them, and it turns out it doesn't share over Discord. Like the overlay doesn't share because it's it, if you're because you're sharing the application. So what you got to do, fam, is you got to share the screen, and then it will share. So, just fun facts, fun facts, helpful tidbits for Untap.gg. Uh, we also have a new sponsor, uh, and that is Mana Candles. Uh, I actually have already almost used one of my candles. Sorry, uh, for those audio listeners, I turned around to grab it. Like it's almost gone. Uh, that's how much I've been loving this candle. Uh, we got I got sent the the Elven Forest, uh, which obviously I would get sent, and the Fire Mountain, which obviously I would get sent. Let's go gruel colors. But they have a candle uh, for each of each of the mana symbols. And uh, what was really funny is like uh, we got talked about on a popular magic stream because of this. <laughs> I don't know if you guys... Do you guys know this anecdote, Abe? I haven't heard the story of us getting talked about, no. Yeah, so... Uh, I think it's... Is it... It's Magic Systems? Uh, it's no, it's just System Magic. System Magic. Uh, the voting stream, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where... Um, uh, the fact that we and... Uh, I guess I can announce it here, because it will happen this week. Uh, we and Drafting Archetypes got this sponsorship before them. They were not happy about it. They were like, man, we like we we wanted this so bad. So we, I just want to thank Mana Candles because my wife loves candles. Like, my house smells a lot better because of it. And they're actually, like, really good quality. I don't know how you guys felt about the packaging. But, like, I was, like, they come in, like, these little bags. Like, the, it, there was no way they were going to break. I, uh, I gave each of one of the bags to each of my kids. They were really excited. Um, I, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, I gotta say big ups to the packaging. It's like, it's got the Crown Royal effect. I don't know if y'all at your LGSs had the people who would always, I feel like everyone, every LGS in America has at least one of these people where they have the Crown Royal dice bag. But you get, you get like a whole like, you know, bag comes in. It's it's really top notch. The scents are good. I got the, the blue one and the black one. And I really, uh, I really have, have enjoyed them. I'm also a candle person. I don't know if Mason, did you get, what did you get? What was your your color? Wait, what do you think I got? Well, I'm, I'm assuming you got the white one. If we're doing a full sampling, yeah, I got the white. And I don't know the other one. It's still in the packaging because I didn't. I don't have room to put another one out. So uh, <laughs> it's a surprise to everyone. It's oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's I, lucky I, that you, it's I got lucky the rainbow. That you opened, it's lucky that you opened the white one. Like you could open. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I have it I mean, like in, in its bag still and everything too. I have it there, so because I've got the candle out, but I, I got it right before I left for the like SCG. And then I, I came back here, and I've just been like, you know, not out there yet. But I plan to light it up soon. Yeah, that's so funny. I had not thought of using the. For those watching the video, I do have the the bag in, on my desk because uh, Maxwell put his right here. I had not thought that you can just literally just use this as a dice bag now. 
That's yeah, that, I, I thought they were supposed to be dice bags when I opened it up. That's that's dope. Let's sell. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to check out their store, uh, I'm going to put the link to Mana Candles. Uh, you can also go to our sponsorship page. It has the link, the affiliate link to Untapped GG and the link to to Mana Candles. But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I love, legitimately love the product. Like I had to show how much of the candle I've already used because I, 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 uh, I was getting low on the can my the other candle by my Xbox. So, all right, that is going to do it for kind of the housekeeping and stuff like that. Let's go into our main topic. Uh, we are doing a power rankings episode. This is the reigning uh, episode uh, series of the year uh, from the CCMTG Awards. And I this this was a more interesting power rankings to make. Um, and I'm going to go over kind of how this works. So the if, if you're new to the show, the way that power rankings work is we give points according to finish. Um, and it's kind of based on an old Frank Karsten article on how to rank magic decks. And then we equated that into how we we kind of made our power rankings back then. So you get six points for a first, five points for a second, uh, four for a top four, three for a top eight, two for a top 16. And because of the events that were available to us this time, we even included top 16s with one point or top 32s with one point. Um, the one that did not have this info, however, was the... Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting which one did not have the. Oh, we could only get top 16s from the 10K. The 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 SEG 10K was all that was available because of the way that they displayed the info. Um, I I probably could have gotten the rest of it somewhere else, but I just wanted to call it that we did only do top 16s for that event. So the SEG 10K, the SEG 20K. And the modern showcase are what I included in this. So we didn't include any of the challenge, the the other challenge from the weekend. I just wanted to include like the largest events of the weekend to take a snapshot of the weekend. Uh, any any thoughts or anything before we dive in, guys? Uh, I want to say from like a data perspective, we're entering like a really interesting time. And it's going to probably affect the show too when it comes to rankings going forward. And that is that all the Magic Online data is out there now. So if you are someone who really likes data in, in like deckless information, it used to be that we would get like the top like 32 or 16 or whatever, like whatever like the kind of payout was for Magic Online deckless. Well, we now see everything when an event ends. So you see everyone who goes 0-2, you see the people who win, you get all the information. And it's been really interesting to sort of see the like movement in data and kind of like, People have started collecting it and, you know, we're getting like better confidence intervals and seeing kind of like what things look like in modern and kind of like what decks look like over multiple weeks. And I think it's going to be really interesting period going into the RC uh, at the beginning of next month and just generally going forward in magic of like how stuff looks. Because I, you know, I was talking to people this weekend. We really haven't had this much data in a very, very long time uh, from anywhere. And it is very interesting to see what comes out of this data. So it's going to be interesting to kind of talk about that as we talk through all this as well. Because sometimes, you know, like some things get like have good weekends, but like, and we have, we don't have enough data currently for like a huge picture, but like once we have three, four months of modern data, I think it's going to be really interesting to see sort of kind of what happens and also just like in month, month blips. So that's kind of just something I want to talk about that. Like we're entering, I think we're entering a new age of like magic in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, it's almost like returning to the old age. I think it was... We didn't have challenges the last time that we got all the the magic online data. It was back when we had dailies, which are more similar to like prelims than anything. Um, so it, it's been a long time since getting this much info. And now we have it with like, you know, what are they like three Ks for like the showcases and stuff like that? They're pretty big, big magic online events. So. All right, uh, let's go over this. So in the honorable mention slot, we only have one deck that uh, I felt like was deserving of honorable mentions. We don't really go too far into, um, and that's Scales. Scales comes in with six points uh, over the three events. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we're going to see as we go through this, this data that there is a, there, when you go, when you look at the way that the power rankings are set up, on the show, and this is a good time to talk about this, is there's like a certain number of decks that will get points from like sheer number of people playing them. And then there's decks that get number of points from like, oh, this deck's like really good. And, you know, scales kind of falls into that. Like it doesn't see a lot of play on magical line already. And so when it, when it does come on the list, which it has not been, I think I looked at the last like two times we did actual power rankings and it was not making the power rankings before. So it's actually an increase for this deck, in my opinion. And it, it's a really strong deck. It has a lot uh, going on. And it's it's one of the decks that I lost to uh, in the challenge recently that you, you, you kind of got to be impressed with, with scales in the format. Uh, but it is so hard to play. Like, it, it's, it is a grueling deck to play for a long event. Like, if you were taking this to the SCG, I think it would be really hard. Yeah, I think, like, scales... Definitely, I, like I was kind of concerned, scales would fall off. I think it, there might have been a time if we'd done a power rankings episode, like right before the bans, where it might have been maybe in our in our top, uh, like our our mentioned decks, just because of how good its matchup was against a lot of the fear stuff, and and especially against scam. Um, but for that to like hold on and and still be that good, even with some of its issues being a little bit clunky and being full of two drops in a format like modern, where that's not necessarily an option for for a lot of things. Um, it still does have the does pack point punch. It's a uh, you know definitely still out there. And I think I don't know if it's like a number of pilots. It'll be interesting to see how how it's adapting to the rest of what's going on. Yeah, I'm really interested to see sort of how this deck scales with time. I think it has some issues where like one of its better matchups was scam. Like those kind of those kind of decks are something that the hard skills like really preys on, along with things like Tron, like. Hard decks that can't interact with it very well. While Carnegie Creator is really good against it, like the rest of the deck isn't so great. Like even Oblivion Stone can sometimes not be enough. It's a very weird deck. So um all in all, I think scales is like a good deck and very hard, kind of like Spencer said of playing it over a long period of time, I think is challenging. And things like the your Yog matchup not being great, your Tide matchup not being great, your Rhinos matchup, if they choose to respect you, is not great. If not, it's okay. So I, I think there are some things that put scales in a bit of an awkward position but i do think it is a deck that like if you put a lot of time into you can get a lot out of it in a, a way that's like not as true as some other decks or i should say like the time you put into i think is much more fruitful than if you were playing a deck like murktide where like having general format knowledge would be pretty supplementary for murktide in a way that like does not translate directly to hard and scales i want to talk about the next deck in a similar like the playability in different types of events type of thing because the the next deck the number the number 8 deck is 
it, it's it's you white, uh, sorry, blue white, uh, and it's specifically the Kira deck. And I have a real a hundred percent of this deck's points for what it's worth came from paper events, and I I think that that is interesting because this deck has not come close to making the power rankings when we do like a mega rankings episode or anything like that. And it almost always, every time it does make the list, gets its points from paper events. And I just want to, like, I just don't understand why. Like, there's no, nothing is stopping, there's no barrier to entry to playing this on Magic Online. Like, what, I, I, I'm curious what would cause this very big divergent from the online metagame. I would say that, like, if there is one thing that might be different, it's the clock. Like, I think that the deck is pretty daunting to try to play on Magic Online when a lot of your opponents, your, if your deck is really kill condition light, a lot of your opponents can just decide they want to try to draw the game out to, uh, like, to you clocking, and that can be pretty frustrating and detrimental. And also, I think that just among the players online who want to pick reactive strategies the friction between changing reactive strategies especially on like a moment's notice with the the way the card economy is is a lot easier and i think in paper also like just in general people have less experience playing against um against the control decks and like i, I think because of that they might overperform a bit but, but i think the number one difference um to me is definitely the clock like when you when you put it in perspective of that, it's pretty like it it's the same reason like I don't know, decks like Devoted Druid uh are like underrepresented or you know, like Heliod Combo um was a bit underrepresented or like was difficult to, to maneuver playing, or even Amalia is like a lot to play on Magic Online because it just can take a lot of plays. Um and, like, when you're playing with long-drawn games, you can just get timed out. And I think some players are really versed to that. And I think a lot of the, like, moto grinders are also, uh, like, moto grinders don't like playing blue light control. And I think that paper grinders do. Like, why that is, I can't tell you. But I think that is just kind of a universal fact of, of, of magic grinders. I don't want to, like, derail the podcast too much about this. But I, I really I really hope it's not the play clock. And I'll, I'll say why. I got, I got into a heated discussion once at a GP about slow play, because I really felt like my opponent was slow playing me. And I was like, like if you think about it, we both really only have 25 minutes. And they're like, no, there's 50 minutes on the clock. That's not how it works. I'm like, I understand that, but like, you you are you are taking you are taking such a large percentage of this that it gives me less time, and that is an unfair advantage to you. You need to play faster. And like, if if that is what is happening, then I would encourage people not to play blue white even in paper, because that's not fair. And I agree. I think that is what's happening. I just also think that it is wrong if that is what's happening. Yeah, I I don't know. I didn't have this derail the podcast too much too, but like from my so like let's think about things from like the Mason Clark perspective. I am someone who my job is magic. My job is like to be a coach and personality. And it is hard for me to tell someone to play quicker, right? And like past like the first thing, it is like awkward for me. I'm putting like even more social constraints than the normal person, which has led to me having to play very fast in lots of spots. And 
you know, I ended up playing decks like four color, like a fair amount of the time, like two years ago, almost now, um, where like that was sort of a thing that like I did. And I, you know, like had only one draw where I think a judge gave me an unfair ruling, but that's what it is. Uh, unintentional, I should say. Um, and then like, you know, outside of that, like it, it sort of puts me in a position where I kind of just have to play quicker because I can't really get myself in those positions. And I see other people feel similar ways without even the job pressure on things, right? And I think that blue-white players do get actually sometimes more clock because when blue-white's going well, you don't need much time to think, right? If I've got my stuff going or like I've narset days I'm doing due already at that point, um, you're going to do, like you're going to be able to win pretty well if your opponent is trying to respect the clock as well. And so you can be playing really quickly but your opponent also is playing quickly and they're actually, you know, not giving themselves as much time as they deserve because they don't want to get in a situation where they get a draw. Right. So it's almost even like the fear of it, which is like to your point, so sort of like of I think there's like unfair economics and it's very hard to prove. And I only have like incidental evidence or an- anecdotal evidence, excuse me. But um I do think that's somewhat there. And I do think that like what Abe said as well of like the average moto player is much more experienced versus this sort of thing. And it's typically just a better magic player. And so some of blue white strengths, like then leave where I, I do think blue white control has some good things going for it. Like I think main deck chalice is pretty good against a couple decks right now. I think the Narset days of doing stuff is surprisingly good. I thought it was going to be kind of weak. I was testing it for Cincy, but it was like kind of nice. Like there are good things about blue white, but there are lots of also bad exploitable things about blue white that stay true of what we talked about other decks. And I also think that historically there's been some amount of like, well, four color control is the better control deck because you can actually win games too. Um, so uh, I, don't know. I think there's a lot of factors going on, but I do think that like blue white control kind of is in this weird position where I'd be curious to know what happened if there was like some AI that could watch the games and like stopwatch who took time where you know what i mean yeah like i think that would be a very i'd be very interested to know what that data is yeah i wonder i obviously like a literal like chess clock is too much to ask for in magic Mm because like you know you'd be clicking it so much you know kind of like magic online but i i i do think that you know i i i try not to play decks that i'm going to take up more time than is my fair share. So, mm-hmm. uh, that being said, I, sorry, I, I did, I did put those on the tangent, but I, I do think that there's a lot of things going on with blue white that are like really strong. Um, I, but I also think that everything that I really like about blue white, I also get from bring white decks. Um, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on that, but yeah, I, I think that, I think the deck is, you know, it, it has it has good cards. There's been enough good blue white control decks throughout its history to kind of build up a a pretty strong, reasonable deck in the format. And I think that you know, uh, it's one of the really nice things. I think all of them splashed red um, as well. Like I gotta double check on that, but yeah, just good. Yeah, I mean, I think that at the core of like blue white is the pillar of the format that is Solitude and the One Ring, and then, like, various other tools for fighting the other unfair axes of the format, right? Like, Narset is a way to fight the One Ring, uh, like, battles of just shutting off their ability 
draw additional cards to fairy as a way to shut off the cascade decks and also, uh, you know, like be able to force through your permission against some of the like bigger haymaker decks. Um, like, like you're saying, based on the, like Narset is on doing stuff is a way to actually put the game into spot of like, okay, we're, we're done here. We can pack it up. Um, but I'm just, I'm not sold on the idea that like blue white is the best way to use that engine, but that engine of like, okay, I've got the one ring and a bunch of one for ones and solitude is a way to subsidize my one rings and like support myself as I'm tapping out for these planeswalkers is like, you know, is definitely really good. So, um, yeah, that, that's like, I, I think it's important to, as much as we're kind of like, being a little down on, down on old old man blue white here. Uh, it does have like a pretty strong core to it. I think it's important to acknowledge that. The number seven mm-hmm. deck is four color control. Every version of this that got points was a delighted halfling version of the deck. Um, I, I I think that uh, you know this deck has a lot of the same strengths as blue white. Uh, it gets to do things a little bit different. It has kind of more more new age power and let relies less on uh, synergy. I don't know. That, that's maybe not true. It, it does have more like bang for its buck, I think than blue white does in a lot of ways. Um, but other than that, like it, it is just a, you know, a, a tab control deck that happens to be playing delighted halfling. Yeah. I, so I almost played four color control at this RC, but not with red cards. So the, you mean the Jordan Linsky. Yes, my mistake. The SCG, thank you. The 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 white Amiria the Sky Ruin build of things where it's every color but red. I mean you have red for stuff, but like you don't really have red. Um just your layout mindings. So that that was something that was really interesting to me. I think the Delight and Halfling stuff makes the most sense if you're gonna be playing like Omnath four color. I think you need to be able to like turn two to fairy. You need to be able to have your honest protected. It all still feels weak. I know someone top baited with the Amir of the Sky Ruin deck and beat Jake Beardsley in top twelve of the SCG and then lost in top four, if I remember correctly. Um, and so like they they seem to be pretty happy with that deck. It is quite good. Um, I'm I honestly the only reason I I didn't play it in the event was I felt like it needed a little bit more work to kind of finish getting there, but. You know, end of the day, I think uh, the four-color deck is quite good. It is something that you can be happy playing and, you know, is all right. I can't help but feel, and I don't know how y'all feel about this, I don't want to tangent this too much, that there's a lot of work in the four-color Omnath stuff and, like, the big draws that you have to play Omnath Ring, but the rest of the stuff just feels weaker to me than the creativity decks. And I feel like the creativity decks are kind of like where four colors should be, unless the ring Omnath stuff in particular is really strong. But yeah, to like wrap that point up, I, I think that that kind of deck has some stuff to it. Um, for what it's worth, if you look at SCG, like I am right now for the 20k, it's going to say Esper Midrange. It is a, it does play like green cards. Like it has things like Haywire Might. Um, maybe we're being a little pedantic calling it four color. Maybe it really is Esper. Who knows? But this is all to say that I feel like a lot of the strength of the four color decks right now is in like the ring and, and a lot of people are choosing Omnath to pair that with this person's pairing shielded with the ring, which is another strong combination. We're seeing that kind of be the thing. And I do believe the ring to be really, really strong, but outside of the ring plus way to mitigate the rings cost, it feels to me like creativity is maybe the better 
interactive deck that goes over the top somehow currently with the way things are set up. I don't know that for sure, and I'm kind of curious what y'all think about things without derailing us too hard off four color. Yeah, so I would not play the Delighted Halfling version of four color. I actually think that like everything that I like about blue white control and four color control combines into a bring to light. Sorry, I would not play. I think I said that wrong. I would not play a delighted halfling version. I would play a bring to light version if if I was going to play four color. However, um, kind of like Mason said, uh, I was I was texting my team this week that I was like, honestly, like creativity seems to be in a really good spot right now. And if I'm going to play an interactive deck that's like trying to go over the top of people. I would much rather be on creativity than like any of this stuff. So I, I I'm on the same page as you, Mason. Um, when Jerry won that that event, the I think he won like a a trial, and he posted his deck list. I was looking at it and just thinking like, okay, well, what like what is what's doing well right now? Like, what is what do matchups look like? And I I would much rather be there than than most places. Um, obviously, spoiler alert: that does not make our uh. Our top eight decks. It did. It did get points though. Hey, what about you? What I gotta say is, uh, listen. We all gotta. We all gotta wake up and realize it's twenty twenty four. It's not twenty twenty two anymore. Running six is not the card it used to be. All right, running six's time is over. The one ring. That's how you draw cards. That's all that matters. If you're trying to make your mana bad to play Omnath, Renin six. What? Poob? No one says poob anymore. No one plays these four-color decks. It's not a thing. Mason ended it. He started it. He finished it. It's over. Stop trying. Do something else. Up the Beanstalk was nice, but that was all more solitude problems. Once again, all of these decks we're talking about, like seriously, even going, like the like looking at all of them, including the Esper, um, with like you know splashes for Leyline Binding, is like the actual cards that matter in the format to be to play one of these strategies and the shells around it. Are Leyline Binding, Solitude, and the One Ring. And then maybe Teferi, maybe, you know, some other white removal. Your, like your white card base. That's everything that actually matters. And, uh, you know, how you support that is like, you know, it matters, but it's, it's somewhat discretionary. I don't think that playing a bunch of like Omnaths even really helps as much as it feels like it should, because Omnath isn't effectively generating a man advantage you can use in a lot of the ways we've seen these decks constructed, because it just snowballs to being like an Omnath and the Solitude in play, and you can find a bunch of ways to make something like that happen. So it, uh, It's really funny that you're saying that, too, because as Mason, I, I think it was Mason, as he was talking about, no, one, one of you mentioned, like, oh, like, it's the One Ring and it's Haymakers, and it, then, like, you know, you, you it's a bunch of one for ones and then haymakers and stuff. And I was like, you're describing mono green Tron, but I would not play mono green Tron this format. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that Tron's some of Tron's issues, not to like get too in the weeds about it, but I think some of Tron's issues are they don't interact as well. Um, yeah. Like they're just haymakers and card draw. Yeah, and these decks are like a lot of reaction yeah, that, that's, and that's card true. draw. That's true. But I think that like the thing about Omnath as a card is that what is it? good at. It generates you a ton of mana to use the excess of cards you're drawing. If your deck is all really efficient answers and this card draw engine of the One Ring, I mean, honestly, then it's like Omnath's most important thing is that it's a multicolor card that uh, also gains you life to offset your One Ring. And then the mana ability isn't really relevant. So, 
uh, or at least in the capacity it might have been before. So it's just not yeah. not the same kind of quality that you, that's worth like stretching your mana for and opening up open yourself up to vulnerabilities, playing a bunch of triumphs, uh, and playing things like halfling for when you could just play more of the impactful stuff. Yeah, that's what I like about the children in the deck is that Shieldred actually works better with Ring. Like, when you get things going, she gains you more life, and she dodges some cards that players like. Like, Rhino players typically load up on, well, not always, but sometimes they have a decent amount of mystical disputes as a way to stop Teferi, which overlaps with your Omnaths. And there's things like that, and having Shieldred be a 4-5 just lines up well with Rhino bodies, winds up, lines up well against the card Yawgmoth, makes it so you can slam that, and if they go for the combo, they need to sort of have something to interact with her. So I think Shield is actually really well positioned with the ring stuff. I like her a lot more. And I don't really understand the Yog sorry, the Omnath placement of things with the ring in a real yeah. way. Because Solitude is like the force of will of modern. And it's a like that is the thing that will make you play the fair game and elongate things in combination with Thailand binding. So like it's just about finding the best shell of that. I think players are just gonna be slow to realize that Children is better than Omnath. At specifically interacting with the One Ring, Yawgmoth, and Rhinos, which are all really big parts of the format, and are also really good against things like Titan, where suddenly you know a really bad matchup. If they are ringing and trying to get out of it, normally your Omnath doesn't matter there. Your life from the Omnath doesn't matter. The mana doesn't matter. But Shieldred draining them, or I'm sorry, shocking them, does super matter. Oh, fun fact. Well, that's our TikTok for this episode. So thank you for that tidbit there, Mason. Uh, let's go on to the number six deck. It is Fish. It comes with ten points. Um, this is um, just solely a, a top four and a win. Uh, he- here's the thing. Uh, I sent these to uh, to my, my, my best friends. Uh, and Matt Kling, like, it was like Murpho question mark. And I was like, hey, man, don't shoot the messenger. This is not my fault. But also, think about it for a second. <laughs> like, like let's let's think about it for a second. But like, I I do think that there's a lot to be said about. I don't know. One, I think Hexcatcher has been one of the best cards in Modern that like hard carries this deck sometimes for a long time, and it this deck this deck makes a lot of sense right now to me. Um, I I. I certainly didn't expect, like, Deep Brute Pilgrimage and all the Lords to make up this deck, but we got there. We we definitely got there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think this deck is nice. Uh, at, you know, it's going to punish people really hard game one and then sideboard into the configuration that it needs to be through the other games, and I think that's actually a really nice place to be in Modern, uh, where where you are going to catch people unprepared. And then you get you get all of the information moving forward. So yeah, I think this deck has a good Rhinos, Murktide, Titan, Scam matchup. I think it has a good matchup against all those decks. All those decks are very popular. And the losing of Fury, this is the deck in my opinion that Fury was like the best against that was decks that people actually registered. And like good. Like spoilers, we've been living without Fury for a little bit. Where's your humans decks? They weren't good enough. And I think Fish like while not strong enough, Deep Root Pilgrimage was a big ad. The Voldaren Hexcatcher is a great ad. Um, and those cards, like, you know, appreciated. I, I haven't looked closely. I know that a lot of Merfolk lists recently were playing, like, some playing Chalices, some playing Subtleties Main, some doing both. Um, like, you get to kind of play, like, a prison element, 
and you just clock people really quickly and kind of throw off their mana bases and people aren't really ready to like spot kill a bunch of creatures nor can they sometimes thanks to things like Hexcatcher. so i think this deck's like totally reasonable i think there are better decks than it to play but i think it makes a lot of sense that this deck did well yeah definitely seconded the uh hey this is the deck that fury was banned to support thing so i'm glad it showed up at all but um i don't know it's I feel like there's got to be a lot of games where if your opponent just like is playing one of these decks we were just talking about and they stick anything that generates the amount of advantage and then starts one for one of you and having time to do that uh, or like has Supreme Verdicts, then your your game can get pretty tough. But as is, it does have a, a good goldfish as ways to, I think like Tide Shaper and Rashad and Dockhand um, are both like carrying a lot of weight here in ways to interact with the opponent's like development in the early game because people have a lot of these like mana requirements in in decks where uh like you know they're trying to be able to leyline binding you and now they have an island instead of their triome um or they're trying to be able to cast their like one ring on turn four and now they've been ported by a dock hand like those things do really add up when you're playing the the beatdown creature deck but uh yeah, this is this is a deck that could, at least in my mind, pretty easily get, you know, targeted or hated out with people showing up in ways prepared to do it. It still has a fail rate of just kind of being Merfolk, but uh, it is still Merfolk, right? Like, it still does present a good clock and have, you know, the access to, you know, a mix of disruption that just costs it extra blue idiots out of its hand, and that deck is a lot of blue idiots, so... I love it. Uh, next up, we have Murktide coming in with 11 points. This deck is has been really interesting to me over the last, I don't know, basically since the Scam ban, or the, the Fury ban, because it the one of the things that I, at least let me say what I was think, or what I thought, is that a deck that is like a reactive Jun-style one-for-one deck would do really well in a format that is evolving because it gets to stick to kind of its like base game plan and instead what has ended up happening for what it's worth is that it either does really well in a challenge one weekend or actually horrific like actually so bad that like it is it it is there there's like almost no and this is the most in-between weekend for the deck since the bannings and I I think that um, it, it has become a 50-50 deck that kind of has some really rough matchups. So, for example, I think that, like, having a bad matchup against, like, Hardened Scales and uh, Dom Domain Aggro, for example, of, like, these aggressive decks that people are going to choose to try and counteract some of the stuff that we're going to talk about both later and the stuff that we've already talked about, like, puts you in a pinch that you actually don't even have options to beat. Like, one of the things about Jund, that the people love to compare with Jund, including myself, is, like, it it had so many options. Uh, and it also had, like, listen, Ragman's a heck of a card, but it is no Deathrite Shaman. Um, 
and it just doesn't do as many things. It doesn't play as many roles. It plays one role and it plays it really well. And this deck doesn't, the, the, the color combination does not have ways to beat the, the things that are currently happening. Like we, we have adjusted our aggro decks to the point where we're playing like things that will not die to lightning bolt just to like throw it at Merktide at this point. And I think that that's a real problem for the deck. And while it is one of my favorite decks in modern, uh, I think that's why we see it at 11 points here. Um, which I have to say is actually an improvement from before the bans. It actually is doing better still, but yeah. Yeah, so I think since Merktides came out, I've for a long time been like, it's one of the decks I've told people like, hey, you're trying to pick one deck, kind of learn, stick with like Merktides got my silver approval of like, being not the best deck, but like a solid deck, etc. Really looking at the data that's in script as well, it's very interesting. Merktide has the highest confidence interval for the lowest win rate of like highly played decks. Basically, the data says, hey, Merktide wins 49% of the time consistently, and we are very positive of this. Um, and I think it does have a lot of great matchups above it. I do think Amulet is a matchup. Uh, well, it is a good matchup for them that we're going to be talking about soon here. Spoilers, Amulet's in the top half of things. Um, but I think the Merkai deck doesn't have like a lot of strength right now. And while I've long been a believer that having more Merktides than less is a good build for the deck, I almost wonder if we're supposed to be moving in a direction of like playing blue-red spells and playing like Underworld Breach or Questing Druid. I believe it's the name of the card uh, that's on the adventure. Uh, and just try to move the deck in like a different direction. Because currently, it seems to not be like, it is solidly 50%. Yes, there's player skill. Yes, this doesn't account for everything. But it's hard for this deck to ever be like the best choice for a weekend. And that's a really hard place to be going into something like the RC a month from now. Love that we're, I love that we're saying this. And also, I want to be clear. The uh, the energy championship is not on this data, like it's it's not on here. It's a split format event. I didn't include it. Uh, shout out to Steven. I I I think that I think that like that fifty nine fifty the forty nine fifty one deck is always going to stay like that reasonable deck gamer style deck where you're like I can't fault you for playing this, but. I am, as somebody that has been a Merktide gamer a lot, um, I, I, I would not play this right now. Yeah, and before I hand off to Abe real quick, I just want to say shout out to my friend Rayton. He got 13th at the SCG on Breakers. He's one-tricked Merktide literally since it came out. He's very good at playing Merktide. I play against him like weekly at my locals. He knows what's up. And, like, you know, I think he had a good build for the weekend and everything and still, like, you know, unfortunately came up just shy. Uh, and I think that, like, it's very showing because I was like watching Rayton, you know, and he was like playing really well, definitely like played out of his mind in a couple spots and still like didn't, you know, had issues uh, getting there. And I, I think that's just telling for the deck. I think the deck maybe needs to try doing different things if it's going to succeed. But I don't know how you feel about that, Abe. Yeah, I and mean, I think that if you're someone who has played a lot of Merktide, now is the best time to like figure out something else that might be better than Merktide, but much in line with what you were saying, Spencer, like, it, as far as reasonable deck gamers go, if you got Merktide in your back pocket and it's sleeved up and it's sitting on your desk and you're like, I can't pull the trigger on, you know, 
deck I've only played for like a couple weeks for, you know, my upcoming 2K or, you know, 1K or whatever it is. It's going to be an okay choice. You're not going to, you're not going to ever be choosing too wrong by playing Murktide, but there's a lot more right choices out there and decks that are playing like in ways and, and doing things that are just more powerful. And that's really the thing about, about Murktide is it, right? It's not a deck that's powerful. It's a deck that, uh, like is consistently good and does good things. It's like pretty flat. In power level, it's pretty flat in performance too. It's never going to be just blowing everyone out of the water because you're Murktide. That's not the kind of game it tries to play. Um, so that's good and bad. RCQ season next modern season. I don't see this deck falling off unless Mason made something broken for us to play with. Uh, sorry, I was. Waxing poetic about what you were saying there, Abe. Yeah, it's. I mean, listen, you. If like I said, if you're a Murtai player, you can keep playing it. But there's, it, it's not gonna be like there were times where we talked about how it's like, oh yeah, Murtai is one of the two best decks. I think it would take a lot, a lot to happen in modern right now for Murtai to go back to being one of the two best decks, especially when it's a deck that suffered from the loss of Fury, not gained from. You know, like, it's not one that actually got better because of the changes to the format. It lost uh, an ability to police even more of the format. So it's losing, like, good uh, right, good interactive options for, for uh, matches that matter. And that's just, like, pretty costly. But it's still a very consistent deck playing by the rules of the format, playing some of the best cards in, like, Ragavan, Murkad Region, Counterspell, Unholy Heat, uh, etc. It's got good, clean mana. Um... And it has a lot of good card selection. So, um, it can find the stuff it needs when it needs it, but you're putting a lot of the onus on your opponent to be able to maneuver through it. You're, you're not ever going to blow anything out of the water with it. It's funny, because, like, I... This is a deck that I avoid on Magic Online, even though, you know, I I love the deck. Because there are so many mono-black Tron... They're not Tron, mono-black coffers gamers on Magic Online that, like, this... That matchup is so bad. It's so ungoshly bad that like, and you're gonna run into it on Magic Online, um, and and honestly, you're probably gonna run into it in paper a lot. Uh, just it's a deck that people really love, and regardless of like, like you like this deck does so much on the skill diff, right? Differential, we could call it. That you, but you, there are some things that you can't overcome, and like that's one of those matchups that's going to be super popular. That's going to just drag you down. And I remember, I remember back in the day, uh, Mason and I had a conversation about Modern once, where we were talking about like he was like, oh, "Spencer, why don't you like Modern?" And I was like, "I just don't like running into like this random crap that's like the fifteenth best deck that I have a bad matchup against, and like blah blah blah." And honestly, that's kind of Merktide's life right now. Like it's gonna run into like these, yeah. It's it's got it's like the forty nine fifty one deck, but the reason is because it has like eighties and twenties. Like you know, it's it's got its fifty fifties, but it also has like stinkers. So it's Zoomer. Well, I'm not gonna say Zoomer John, but you know, it, we're, it we're is, becoming our parents over it here. Is you know what I mean? Like for what it's worth. <laughs> The circle of life continues. Everyone who's playing Murktide right now gets to know what Jun players felt like five years ago. Now we had we had uh, 
We had Death Right Shot, and we were fine in every matchup. Uh, let's go into our our tied decks. Uh, we'll go we'll go Titan first. So Amulet Titan comes in with twenty points. Um, it's probably the most talked about deck this weekend. Um, to the point where I actually thought it would be higher on our rankings. Um, but yeah, Am- Amulet Titan comes in with 20, 20 points and is a deck that I got the chance to talk about a lot. It did win the showcase. I think really helped its, uh, like its, its stock this weekend, so to speak. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Amulet Titan right now is that it, we talked a lot about like the one ring decks, right? And Amulet Titan doesn't try to be doing what the other One Ring decks are doing, right? It's like, no, I didn't get there right now, but you know what I can do? I can stop you, and then maybe I can get there next turn. And it's like a completely different game plan for the One Ring than what everyone else is doing. And I think that that is just like a massive boon for this deck compared to the other One Ring decks. Uh, Mason, what about you? Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I like that comparison. It just it uses the card. Well, those decks might use it to like buy time. They use it to buy time to win, not to buy time for more time, which is a very good delineation. And we're looking at like the scrape data too. It is the second highest winning deck with the highest confidence interval, uh, within a percent of the next deck, the the highest and best deck according to all that. And I believe that Amulet is very very strong. It is powerful and proactive. It puts your opponents on the back foot and has a lot of like good matchups right now. And you know, there are things that are, you know, that can prey on it. We talked about Murkad a second ago, something that I think has like a good amulet matchup. But overall, like, you know, Scam recently has re-popped up that we we're seeing and we'll talk about that soon enough. But yeah, like Amulet's nice, it's powerful and proactive and just kills people. And, you know, um, played against uh house of mana actually at the scg this past weekend and like if my deck didn't have things like main deck blood moon main deck magus type stuff and like cards in the cyborg for this matchup i think i would have lost despite having a very good matchup because the amulet masters really do have like a good handle on the deck and even the people who don't are still able to overpower people because of how many strong cards the deck has now uh somehow we we're still at 61 but we move past that for now yeah i think Amulet plays like Urza Saga and One Ring to like the fringes of its potential. That makes sense. Like I think that Urza Saga and One Ring are cards where like typically when they're played alone are just like, oh, I'm I'm using like I'm using the whole saga and the whole like one ring, right? I'm getting the protection that turn and then I'm like gonna act I'm gonna activate it and be able to protect myself to activate it again and again and again and I'm gonna be up seven cards and it's not gonna matter and I'll find a way to reset it. Uh, whereas Amulet Titan's like, no, I need a way to draw a lot of cards and make it another turn to use all the mana my deck makes. Uh, to but do a lot the is one three. thing that it does. Just to be clear, it's three cards, right? You say like a I'm lot. I'm saying no, o- over the course of oh, several turns, right. okay. in, like with the control decks. Like, sh- yeah, like when you're playing it most time, but in this deck, like, you're using your one ring to establish a way to weather. The right, you're kind of using your one ring to combat the card advantage of the other player's one ring. Like, you're trying to, to engage in this just because you need the resources to throw out the fact that they only have so many good answers for what you do, and your cavern's going to validate some number of theirs, or you know, you can you have multiple angles of, of attack a little bit. Um, and then like Urza Saga, right? Like, decks like Hammer and like Scales, they're like, 
using it for the constructs and maybe getting some value on chapter three. Like, no, the, we're trying to get amulets into play so that we can out mana you faster. And that is like, both of those cards are some of the most powerful cards in in modern, objectively. And I think Amulet Titan is the only one to use them proactively in an unfair way. And I think that that really, um, like, puts it in a, a league of its own in terms of evaluating what it's doing. Um, as like a pillow of marks, it's using these cards that decks are accustomed to handling and dealing with the play patterns of, but it uses them so unconventionally while also being backed by just another pressure of like, right, like the fast Titan and and the combo, um, like speed of it, that make it a really dangerous and volatile deck to play against. And like you were saying, Mason, you can be a deck that has on paper a good matchup, but their draws can span from unbeatable to unplayable. And that's kind of a strength of the deck, right? Is that it's so volatile that it can just right, as much as you love hands where it's like, yeah, my deck didn't really function, I have all bounce lands, I can't do anything, like I need to draw out of it, or you know, maybe I'll just cast this one ring and maybe it'll get me the thing I need. Um versus like, oh, I drew a hand that no deck in modern can beat. Like that upside is it really matters right now, I think. And uh and just those those elements together put Amlet in a pretty like special position and I think the players who really understand the deck and know how to make those risk calculating decisions especially around their keeps and around like what they're playing to with all these cards they're playing in ways that are different than every other deck in the format tries to play the same cards um, like really leads to it having uh, like a wide range of finishes but also doing really well in the hands of the experts I uh... Let's have the other deck that's tied here. We got Scam coming in also with 20 points. Um, before this weekend, I think that if we had done, like, since the bans of Scam, this would have been the number one deck. I actually don't even, like, have a question of it. There were, like, weekends, like, we included every challenge where it was, like, more than half of the top eights. And I... Um... I think that we're in a position where uh, they're, the, we're living, we're, we went from scamming you to get against like every style of creature deck to good against specific styles of creature decks where Orcish Bowmaster is like a really key component of that. Um, so Mason, you mentioned Merfolk as this. I would say that like Yogg also falls into this where those are the decks that, like, oh, we don't have Fury anymore. Like, we can commit really hard because, like, Orgage Bowmaster is not going to punish us super hard compared to other things. I I will say that, like, you know, maybe we're seeing a shift right now. Like, maybe the downtick from the last three weeks or whatever number of weeks to this week is like, okay, this deck is not still the best deck by unsurmountable odds. Um, I, I think that if we like look at the win percentage data for Rakdos, uh, the only deck that comes, the, the, like there are decks above it, like Amulet Titan we had just mentioned actually has a better win percentage than it. Uh, I would argue that it's good matchups are too good. And I, I would hope that, uh, Wizards would take fast action against this deck 
in the format because I think it is holding the format back. Uh, however, if you're a reasonable deck gamer, uh, congratulations. Uh, the last two decks that we've talked about are, I believe, Mason, you, you had some other data, but I believe they're two of the highest win percentage decks by mm-hmm. like a substantial margin. I got like you blue white control above them with like way less matches, but of like mm-hmm. reasonable gamer matches, th- these are the these these are actually the best two decks. Uh, you mean Rakdos and Amulet? Yeah, yeah. According to the the data I have here from one of the things with the scraping, the confidence interval on Scam is pretty high. Uh, like the wide range can be, but it goes from like fifty three percent to like sixty percent. So like it has like you know it's going up, but yeah, it's like those and Yogmoth is the one that I see here is one percent higher than Amulet. Um, but this might not have been updated with this past weekend stuff fully yet. I may need to refresh it. Um, but either way, like we're all in range here of things, and yeah, I, I think Scam is very good. I played Scam this past weekend. It was a very strong deck. Um, the grief stuff's really good. Um, I tested other grief decks going to the event, like Asmo NT scamming type stuff where like you're playing the asthma engine with these things uh nt plus grief and like nt plus death shadow uh and ragavan all those cards are really nice and harlan fear actually lost a win in for top 12 of the scg playing rakdos scam but like none of the clunky cards and trying to playing like I, I, you can almost call it like zoomer scam where it's like all hyper efficient mana cards and his whole deck basically topped at two mana like he has a bone crusher giant uh but like it's like a two mana spell, right? Like it's only for grinding matchups, and like his deck is very low to the ground. And I think stuff like that, I'm very interested to see like how will scam evolve. But I think that's good on certain weekends. The kind of traditional scam is better on others. Um, I think this deck kind of has a tough rhinos matchup. I played a lot this weekend. I ended up, you know, I think being positive in the matchup or even, but like those didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like I should have been. So I don't know cards like Children, which typically have been super good against rhinos. I do, I do think are good with like four color shells against rhinos because they have a lot more interaction that can line up better. You can deploy, but I don't know in this matchup like Celtic can be such a hard time. So I don't know. Long story short, Scam seems good. I'm interested to see sort of where Scam goes going forward. Um, and it is you know like really good. Murktide with a little bit of Parmigiano. That's true. It can steal wins, baby. My round one of the RC. I'm oh, sorry, uh, the SC keeps saying RC. The round one of the SCG kept totally reasonable hand on like a Mold of Six or whatever on the draw. And not that for all to protect this like uh, Dolphy Voidwalker I had, hoping that would line up well. Some of the dark, I don't know. Draw a grief. And it was like, oh, okay. And just like, you know, grief scan my opponent, basically won the game on the spot, you know, pulled me so far ahead. You just uh, get to do that sometimes. For what it's worth, in the last 30 days, uh, there are 22 reported matchups between uh, Amulet Titan and Rakdos, and Rakdos has won 73% of them. So, if you're like, yeah. oh, which of these reasonable decks that we're talking about would is you know better in the matchup? Well, there you go. Uh, next up, coming in with 25 points, a pretty big jump considering everything, is Rhinos. This is strictly Themer's Rhinos. There were no four or five color Rhinos splashing, Sheldred, or uh, Leyland Binding, stuff like that. All of this was just, you know, straight Rhinos. Uh, this is a deck that 
uh, I familiarized familiarized myself with a lot the last year. Um, and it's good. Like Rhinos does. Rhinos asks a question. I know we've said this like on the podcast a lot, but I, I feel like you know th- we get new listeners every week. Rhinos asks the question of like what's important in the game, and it tries to make it about these two four fours, right? And it tries to make it about these specific turns, and then it is like, okay, can is that what's important to you? And then when it when it is, it, it's going to win. Like that, those are actually the games where it wins, and then when it's not, are the games where it's going to lose. Um. Rhinos is, in my opinion, like, I, it is another one of those 49-51 decks, kind of like Merktide, but I actually think it's the better positioned one right now, um, as far as, like, the people, people are, as people are trying to figure out the format, I think that they often miss, they often think that they have enough for Rhinos, like, in their sideboard or, like, in their main deck. And it turns out that you actually probably don't, and that it, it actually deserves a little bit more respect than you're giving it, because un, unlike Merktide, it has a little bit of that Parmesan, as as Abe like to say. Um, thanks, Mason, for the <laughs> the theory and magic that the, like you know if you just like turn three rhinos, turn four rhinos, are you dead? Like, can you can you actually beat that? Like, because it takes a lot. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts. What about you? It- yeah, I mean, I think Rhinos was kind of billed as being one of the decks that was going to be best positioned coming out of the bands. As it was already one of the best positioned decks with Tishana's Tidebinder coming in, giving another way to fight against just a lot of like, the random stuff that matters and also One Ring. Um, and it has continued to do well as that. You know, like it, it was a good deck that lost the same card everyone else lost, but probably needed it less than other decks did in terms of right most of the time it just leaves up its interaction and has a lot of ways to just trade down cards to um to get things off the board. And doesn't really like it already had force of vigor for the times where you need to play against stuff like a hammer or like a, a saga deck or uh what have you and uh it has like a bunch of subtleties and tie binders for Yogmoth, so Okay, you can have a board. Well, I'm fine. And, and against Creature Jacks, you can even just flash in two four fours, which can eat a lot of uh, of an extraction. So, um, yeah, I think that Rhinos is in about as good a position as it was before, which was one of the best decks. And so it's unsurprising for me to see it continue to be like, you know, towards the top of tier one and one of the most played decks uh, in modern right now. I also think that um, I just want to call it that a lot of people have like, you know, champion living in because of how good it is against Rhinos. Of recorded matches, Living in has less than four four times less recorded matches than Rhinos. And it it's it, the problem is is like Living End uh just just doesn't have a winning record in the format. Like it you it just it it you you should not play it. And because of that, like a deck that preys on Rhinos, you know, not playable. Uh, a deck that I've I've you know recently done well with in Tron, also we'll get into this. It's not playable in the format because of these top four decks, and I think that you know that is another deck that Rhinos really struggles with, and so I don't know. I I didn't if it's like very worst matchups are 
just not happening. Like it's get it's gonna do really well. Like imagine imagine if Mark Dye just gotta like get rid of two of its bad matchups. Instead, re- instead Mark Dye's like bad matchups are just actually relevant right now. And so right now, uh, Rhinos is on the receiving end of some good graces of of the modern gods. Mason, what do you think? Uh, I, I basically agree. I, I think, first of all, I think Living In has historically been underplayed, but I do not think that is the case now. I think it is not very good. Um, but, like, Rhinos is kind of, like, really good. People are gunning for it. It's hard to play their Cascade strategies, especially when that stuff's happening. And this is just a powerful, proactive deck with good answers to Shiny's Tidebinder is real. Really real magic card playing with Anor is a very strong magic card. Works very well with Tidebinder. Um, so I'd like the other cards you got, upgrade this card you were playing before, which was just fine being one mode. Overall, I think Rhinos is quite good, and it is an underappreciated strategy, I think, currently in modern. Um, when it comes to like the way people perceive itself, like for a long time I was a Rhino Pooper, but it's gotten a lot better. And like comparing this deck to the Rhino deck of two years ago, it's like honestly comparing apples to oranges. Like the card quality is just so much better now. And some of the cards that were like you were competing with before are just gone, you know, which is maybe a sign that Rhinos was always like fine if it could compete with Luris and Yorion type stuff. But for better or worse, that's where we are now. And I, I think Rhinos is a solid deck. Um, I don't like it as much as Scam personally or Yogmoth or Titan, but I think it is good. It's like coming to me and you're like, I'm playing Rhinos at the RC or Rhinos at my 10K. I'd be like, thumbs up. Seems good. Good luck. What? You, spoiler number one, you already mentioned it. We got Yogg coming in at number one with one more point. Uh, Yogg, 26 points. Um, I, I don't know, man. It may, I, I want kind of you to lead the conversation on this one. Yeah, I mean, Yogg wants this a powerful, proactive deck that has a combo finish. It got a huge upgrade in Agatha's Soul Cauldron. That's a card that when people saw it, they immediately were like, obviously, this is great, Yogg Moth. I think that goes without saying. We've seen it come up in other spots, but. It is so good at helping with some of the problems where Yogmoth before was kind of like a deck that had eight strong cards. You know, you had like, like your four Yogs, your four Grists, and you have your combo that's going to throw people, but you couldn't really do much. Now that with the Soul Cauldron, you have extra copies of those cards and another way that's hard to interact with. It gives you a little bit of the main deck graveyard hate, which is kind of nice. And the deck also lost Fury as something that was oppressing it. And while it was still doing well in a world with Fury, the loss of Fury in the format drill just means it kind of gets to run with the shock. You know, there's no chains on it. It can just run as fast as it can when it needs to. And the deck is very strong. It is able to reasonably adapt with what's going on, all things considered. And I think Yawgmoth is just a really good deck that if you play it, like if you don't know all the Yawgmoth lines, you'll still do really well. If you do, you get hyper-rewarded. Zerk, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Zerk continues to sort of crush with the Yawg deck and yeah, I, I just think the Yogg deck is very good and underappreciated, and uh, it, it is hard to play, but I think that's more of an excuse for players than anything else. So I don't know. Abe, what do you think about Yogg? Yeah, I think that as Yogg has moved more from a combo deck to more of a like material deck with like more copies of Bowmasters, uh, you know, the important cards being like Soul Cauldron and Grist, and just like amassing actual material and like using that to overwhelm opponents who are kind of they're accruing cards but not necessarily accruing cards in play um it just continues to be king at accruing like 
material in play to to use to snowball the game. And like you said, Fury was one of the big things keeping this deck down. Um, and now that's gone. Like one of the natural things that allowed a lot of the best decks in the format to to put Yoggmoth in its place. Um, they no longer have that. And so being just a core calling deck with um, you know, Grist and Agastol Cauldron being a really, really difficult to beat interaction at any stage. Kind of the same thing we see in Pioneer right now with um, with the Amalia decks and Return of the Ranks being like, well, you can clean up the things in the first place, but then they're still coming back and presenting a big problem. Grist and Soul Cauldron, I have to say, just continues to impress me as being such a pincher to have in deck building at all in the first place. Like, you can be playing the game and be like, well, I have to answer this Grist because it will be a problem for the entire game if I don't. And all that does is create an opportunity for your, your opponent to draw, like, Super Grist for two mana uh, in Agatha Soul Cauldron or any of their existing Grists. And it's just like, there's a lot of things that build up and form, like, you know, really kind of complicated and problematic board states that unless your opponent is able to kind of keep you in the stage where your cards just feel really isolated, as soon as you have the synergy of the power and numbers that like a lot of the cards that really matter in Yawgmoth use and leverage to to win, like it it can be over really fast. I think that the ways to control that are not necessarily in a good a good place in the metagame, or they're just not around anymore. So um you know, it's a deck that does not surprise me to see it doing well. I think it does well even against like some of the playable fringes of the format. You know, like I mean, I still think about playing a bunch of hammer, even though I know it's like not well positioned. And one of the things that keeps me from even going through the process of trying to figure out how to make that palatable and work is the Ogmar matchup. Like the fact that it gets to be in position of being just so good against so many different things, and and that creatures are so good at beating a lot of things that can get you can even justify playing in terms of like i'm going to get under someone or you know whatever like this deck probably mauls merfolk like what are they gonna do about a yawgmoth or what are they gonna do with that comboing creatures with just like a force negation or maybe a subtlety or like one dismember these things aren't necessarily going to work and um yeah it's, it's no surprise to me that yeah even like players like ginger who just always you know, people who just they pick a deck that they think is just the best deck under all circumstances and just play it until the end of time. Like, this is the deck that he's married to. And I think that's just a lot about, like, just how good its positioning is and how strong it is fundamentally. It surprises me not at all. In fact, like, looking at the, at the power ranks, I don't know if I said this to you guys before we started recording, but I was thinking about it as, like, if you were to go and poll Twitter last week before these events, like, hey, everyone, let's make tier lists of what's good in modern. Like, it would probably check out, like, A tier. Like, you know, Yawgmoth, Rhinos, Power Gap, Amulet, Scam, Power Gap. Like, right, it would break down the exact way these these, these points are broken down. And for Yawgmoth to sit at the top of that is just no surprise to me. It's, it's just the best position deck, I think. Yeah, I, I also think that, you know, I just gave Rhinos credit for the decline of Living End. It's actually one of... Yawgmoth's very, very, very worst matchups. Like, like it's like an unwinnable, like, worse than 80-20 matchup. Um, I'm just saying, like, if 
if you shouldn't be playing Livian, like Mason and I are saying, uh, that, mean, that means your Yogg stock is actually rising. Because it, it still is in that top 10 deck range. And, like, if it's going to decrease because it's actually bad in the format right now, you know, you're going to... You, you're... You're in a really good spot. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that this is going to be one of those decks that I, I try to pick up just personally, as we talked about my goals this year. Um, I, I think that it, it aligns a lot with that. So, all right, that is going to do it. Any any kind of thoughts before we move on to our Patreon question? Yeah, I think that right now, as much as there's a lot of instability in the format, like, the pillars are still pretty much the same. Like, we talked about how there was kind of that range of reactive one-ring decks um, that are kind of their own pillars standing on their own. There's still, you know, proactive turn one Ragavan interaction decks and Scam and Murktide that are kind of middle of the pack, and then there's, you know, the the top dog, they're kind of their standalone doing their thing decks, the best of the Cascade decks, the best of the core calling, um, like half fair, half mid range, uh, Parmesan finish decks, and I don't know. I just think that I think it's going to be really interesting to see if that holds. But if your deck isn't playing one like one of those pillars or doesn't understand what those pillars are, like you probably need to adapt your deck to understand that those are what's going on. And I hope that like if you listen to this and you don't want to be someone who's just playing one of those decks, or you have you know, idea of how you want to tune your deck or keep playing the deck that you have, especially if you're getting close to the RC, you know, play what you're familiar with. You keep in mind that, like, a lot of these decks that are really succeeding, especially like Yogg and Rhinos, they're still the ones that were the most explored and best positioned coming out of the bands. So there is room for that to improve. It just, it's going to take work and an understanding of what's going on there. And at least with where we are now, I'm not certain that there's, like, even necessarily the tools. But I'm also not familiar with things like the creativity matchups, I know that Jerry playing that deck is a. I take that pretty seriously as a, a statement of how good it, and how well positioned it could be. Um, but like, you, you should be turning over new like old stones to try to find solutions to these decks that were previously held down by other things. Who want to succeed in the format? That's my my two cents. I love it. Uh, our Patreon question this week: If you want to ask these questions, you can be a patron of five dollars or more. Go to patreon.com slash c c m t g like. Dexagos asks, what are the important, what, sorry, what important card would you put in the flawed deck of your choice and why? Hmm. I don't know what I, I don't know that I quite understand this question, but if I were to say what important card would I put in the flawed deck of my choice, a flawed deck in my opinion right now is Mono Green Tron. If we could put like any card in history, which is how I interpreted this, this question, uh, I would put, uh, I, I would assume the best thing to do would be like, put in something like, um, oh my gosh. I assume this is how to fix it in current thing, not just like oh. add anything. Oh, I read this wrong then. Yeah, because what important card would you put in? I mean, maybe, I don't know, to me this sounds I like, like, I like, I like, I think yours is more helpful for the listener, so we're going to go with your version. Sure. I would, I would posit that what I would do is I would look at Murktide and I would take out the Murktide card and put in the Breach card and see what we can do in that space. 
and try to circle back around to like playing that style of deck, um, that would be what I would do to try to add something that isn't so answered easily by the white control decks of the format, which are consistently big problems, and maybe open up some new avenues. I think people are pretty committed to always going all in with their breaches, and you can just have some value breaches that are pretty good while still having the crazy stuff with like bolts and DRCs and bobbles and whatnot. So that'd be my answer to the question. Hopefully, I gave you all some time to thought about it. Think about it. Okay. So, uh, I'm gonna give a little peek behind the the drive to work mad scientist hammer brain that happens every Let's morning go. when I'm driving to work. I'm sitting at the stoplight. It's a two minute stop. Not two minutes. It's a uh, it's a minute and a half stoplight. Got ninety seconds every morning on my way to work, where I sit there and I think, how am I gonna make hammer the best I can run it again? Esper Sentinel out. It doesn't work. It's not good anymore. We accept this. Orcish Bowmasters, good. Very good. Good card. Play four. Our mana can support this. Teferi, good card. Very good card. Play three. Maybe four. Mana can support this. How? Springleaf Drum. Paradise Mantle. We got, we got, uh, what is it? Forge Anew, the enchantment. Pure Steel Paladin, kind of sus. Need, need artifact count. Haven't figured that part out yet. That's what, that's what the hold is. But I'm thinking like four Springleaf Drum, one to two Paradise Mantle, four Ornithopters, real aggressive artifact count, real aggressive to two toughness count. Bowmasters, it's bodies for your Springleaf Drums and your equipment, and it's that little bit of interaction you need. Holds down the one ring decks. Think about it. That's what I got. Uh, so I think that for me, I look at it creativity, I see the number of like spell pierces and like the importance of spell pierce and things like that. But I also look at like kind of the speed of modern right now and the cards that matter. And I would cut I, this is like so tiny, but like I would cut one spell pierce for an easy charm in basically every single creativity list that I've ever seen. Um it, there's quite a few reasons. I also think that like the one the one persist and like having one persist and having the black cards it's also still relevant it depends because you're just a fable of the mirror breaker deck and is it charm just kind of feeds into that better than spell Pierce does it its modes are really good it gives you an answer on the play to things that are really good against you you have to be able to answer early creatures um and i think that we get we get too caught up into making everything an all-in version of different decks um, and I think that creativity, one of its strengths is that it is a control deck. Like, at its core, it is a combo control deck, and we we too often treat it as a combo deck to, like, have the most creativity. It's like, I see Transmogrify in this deck, and I'm like, this is nonsense. Like, there's there's actually no reason to play this card. Um, so, that would be my answer. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest, really quick. This next part of the show, I only did because I really appreciate the passion of this person <laughs> and, and their consistency on the show. And I, you gotta, you gotta give people their props. So Keegan MTG, this is for you. Keegan says, congratulations on a great year of content. I hope the best for you all in 2024. I can't wait here to hear about the standard RCQ, uh, season prep and the, for the February RC. I'm gonna bring some spicy scam list. I'll let you know if any of mine 5-0. Uh, 
I'll be a dad next week. Congratulations. So I will have another thing besides magic to be always improving on in 2024. That being said, if any of you play against, if if any of you play against a tired young dad on Green Black in Magic on Chicago, don't go easy on me. Paternity leave is basically Pro Tour prep. LOL. Uh this this person is our self-proclaimed you biggest YouTube fan, and I always appreciate their comments. And I just wanted to give them a shout out and say congratulations on your kid. Like it's it's such yeah. a it's such a big thing to be doing. Uh, as somebody that just had three days with kids, it's it's super hard. Literally hashtag growing the game. Mason's as true, but he was. Oh, I was muted. My bad. I forgot to mute because I was popping. True. Hashtag grow the game. No, no. Honestly, like, just major shout out. It's always cool to see, um, you know, our listenership grow, right? And like, obviously, your kids gonna listen to our show and things like that. But um, your your YouTube comments uh, give me lifeblood, and I just I want to shout you out and say thank you so much. Um, so yeah. They also give the algorithm lifeblood. I gotta tell this anecdote. I know I told you guys like last week when it happened, but um, my parents went out and got uh, lunch with my brother and my sister-in-law. And at lunch, my brother was like, "I was oh, I opened up YouTube the other day. Guess what they got? Guess what? Guess what we got on his homepage? Recommended CCMTG, baby. Hashtag always promoting. Keep the comments coming." Y'all are killing it, especially like yeah, I, re I really do appreciate it. It really does make a difference. Like seriously, if you if you love the show um, and you want to see us grow and succeed and improve and uh, you know keep on keep on doing what we're doing and and getting the recognition that you feel we deserve, those comments are huge and they they are making a difference. So I really want to say thank you to all the all the YouTube watchers and, and commenters out there. Yeah. Shoot shoot me an address too, and uh, I, I'll if you know if you need something from the swag shop uh, on CCMDG. You know, we, we'll, we'll drop you something, Keegan. Congratulations again. Um, yeah, if you want to join the conversation, the, the Patreon Discord is a great way to do that. Uh, the standard channels are popping off, like, to the point where I actually am struggling to keep up. Uh, you know, 20, like, I'll go into the Discord, I'm like, 20 messages? How do I read all these? Uh, really cool to see, like, people really using the Discord to have discussions and and try to improve its standards, getting ready for standard season. Uh, the public Discord is also available. That's just the He's a Game Media Discord. Uh, the YouTube comments we've already mentioned. And then you you follow the show on Twitter at CCMTG. So, uh, like, sub, comment, review, all those things. Uh, we got to come up with a, like a, so Spotify lets you like have a question associated with your podcast we gotta we gotta come up with a good one for the show so if you have any any thoughts on that let us know um but if you want to find me you can do so at easy game you can find me every single week on constructive criticism youtube channel battling it out with matt Kling on constructive clash uh we're almost solely focusing on the just like the format of the time just making sure that stuff you know that, that we're delivering content Really appreciate the people interacting this week. Um, you can also find me every week on Neat's Nerd. And then, of course, every month on Smash Through, a podcast about always improving at Smash Bros. 
Uh, Abe, where can people find you? You can find me over at uh, twitter.com slash more nothings. Um, that's really about all. I don't, I don't have a lot going on that I'm, I'm tweeting. I, I tweet, I'm tweeting out this year. Song I listen to every day, all year until I forget. Uh, just I, I don't know. I talked a lot about how like I think I've said it in the show like a few times when I plug it. I just really do like talking about music. If you have music you want to recommend me, DM it to me. I've, I've been getting a lot more into listening to music again, but that's just like a little little product. But with the PT and the RC coming up, uh, you know, you're not going to see a lot from me for for that. But you can you can follow and be ready for for my winner my winner photo as I hoist the PT trophy. I was going to tell you that um, I look forward to that tweet every day. I have I have yet to listen to a song. But I actually planned on making a playlist of the songs for January and listening to them. So oh, I have. I will be posting the playlist month by month. Don't worry. Oh, perfect. It's all, dude. It's it, not. You don't I have it out of the content strategy. It's just. It. It's not. It's not very active. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, Mason, you find me on Twitter at Mason E Clark. You can reach out to me for coaching there or via email. When my email is Mason E Clark at gmail.com. Put coaching in the description that way I know you're there. I am fairly booked up for most of January. I have a few spots left that people ranked with the RC. So if you want to reach out sooner is better. I basically the rest of the month pretty locked in. So I'm going to do that. Um, and you can catch me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark when I get chances to do that, um, which probably won't be till after the RC for being totally honest. Um, but it will be a thing and you'll be able to catch me on some other exciting stuff that I get to talk about in a week or two. So uh, a little preview for that. There'll be more to find me soon enough. Awesome. Uh, Abe, what did you learn on the show this week? I actually didn't know what um, Mason had. Like this, I guess this show was the first time I heard about what Mason was talking about in terms of data and just all of the matches being published again. And all the, I guess all the deck was being published again so they can like actually run the, the matchup uh, stuff. And so it'll be interesting to see how people work with that data because it does actually right, like a matchup can change in percentage over time as player, players become more familiar and certain like right things change in terms of like how people are configuring their sideboards and such. But seeing that like that in a large data set, larger data sets in Magic is just a really interesting thing because um, there aren't many and we've not had them for a long time because the lack of like GPs and such. Um, so it'll be really really cool. That I didn't know that was happening. Mesa, what did you learn this week? Um, I learned that Abe doesn't read my messages earlier in the day today. It breaks my heart. What did you read? What did you like today? That's what did so you, unfair. <laughs> I, not, no one said it was fair. And also, I saw you reply in that chat later. Um, oh, I'm like lightheaded. Um, so this is, I don't know if people are going to like this, but I learned that modern is... Maybe the least open <laughs> it's been in a long time. Uh, so the thing is, is like we talked about, we, you know, we, we talked about nine decks. Um, only four of them really had points. And we actually really talked about 10 decks because we also talked a little bit about creativity. And I would say that there... I won't say which ones, but I would say that there are only five reasonable gamer decks to me right now, which has to be the least in modern 
it's uh, literally as far back as I, I actually don't even remember a time where I would have said that. And I, I don't know what that means for modern. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is the least open modern has ever been in my memory. So, ooh, that was a sour note to end the show on. Thank you everybody so much for listening. See you all next time with another CCMTG. Magic, magic, magic.